first of all, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There. I got it out of the way. I have to tell you up front, I'm a little bit of a Grinch. Okay? Um, Paula calls me a Scrooge. I'm not against Jesus, just for the record. I'm actually pro-Jesus. I'm all for Jesus. I'm all for his birth. I'm all for what that means. But there, and this is what I always tell Paula and the others that, that boo-hoo me. I, I, I feel like I celebrate God coming to mankind, rescuing us every day. I feel like the gospel is something that we celebrate every single day. So for me, it's not like I'm anti-Christmas. I'm anti-Christmas just on one day. I think it should be celebrated every day. I love the idea of the gospel. I mean, think about what the gospel is for a minute. It's God hearing the hearts of mankind, seeing the cosmic problem we have, sending his son to come through a virgin at a promised time, at a promised place, in a promised way, to live a perfect life, die a perfect death, right? Raised again to the right hand of God where he's preparing a perfect place and kingdom for us. That's pretty cool, and I I think that's worth celebrating every single day. Um, As a missionary, however, I do realize how important it is to the culture that as close as our culture can steer towards Jesus, even for a brief second, it happens to be on this month. And so, you know, for me, I'm kind of eh about it. And and listen, if you don't agree, I'm totally with you. I understand my wife doesn't even agree with me on this, and I know I'm being a dork about this, but... I had to put that out up front because even though I am a little eh about Christmas being on December 25th, I do find myself being kind of sensitive, kind of critical to watching how the culture celebrates Christmas, I feel like. Um, This year is the first, I can remember just over 30 Christmases, I think is as far back as my memory reaches, right? Um, and this is the first year I've heard Christmas music as early as I've heard it. I've heard it two weeks before Thanksgiving in public places. Typically in public places, restaurants, stores, places like that, malls, you'll hear it after Thanksgiving. People will let it come and go. It's off limits. Christmas music is off limits until Thanksgiving has come and gone. Not this year. I don't know if it's the economic slump. I don't know what it is. But for some reason, I'm hearing Bing Crosby two weeks before Christmas. I mean, we're still eating Halloween candy two weeks before Thanksgiving, you know. So it's just, I noticed that. I noticed how cultural our Christmases have become. It's become more of a, like, blowout retail sales. You hear more of that associated with Christmas. Or um, tacky sweater parties, which are fun, by the way. Um, Pandora channels are switching all over the, the world right now to hip-hop Christmas. Whatever you were listening to on Pandora is switching, right? We see all kinds of things. We see coffee blends. We see parties, talk about days off. We see the, uh, the antlers and the noses on the cars. That's so goofy. Please don't do that. Please, if you're doing that, cease and desist. Do not put fuzzy antlers or noses on your car. If you do have that, by the way, we love you here. Thanks for, thanks for coming to Legacy Church. Um, I feel like sometimes the way... We are as a culture, not to sit and bang on the culture, but I feel like we can kind of celebrate a day for the day's sake. We celebrate Christmas just because it's Christmas. So if you were to walk up to somebody in the mall or in a store and say, hey, why are you buying a gift? Well, because it's Christmas. Well, okay, but why are you buying a gift on Christmas? Because that's what you do on Christmas, bro. That's what you do on Christmas. Okay, but well, what does Christmas celebrate? They'll come up with love, friends, food friends, love again, 
and how it's better to give than it is to receive. You'll hear all kinds of things, right? I think even for Christians, we understand why we celebrate this season. We get it, right? It's not lost on us. We understand. But does the Christmas season, does the Christmas moment, the Christmas story, does it affect your entire life? And should it? That's probably another secondary question we can ask. Should it affect all 365 days of the year for you, right? Does it sound weird to ask a question like that? How does Christmas affect every single day of the year for you? Think about it for a second. It's not a trick question. I mean, how does it change the way you act in March? Sleep, eat, spend money in April, right? How does it change the way you treat your neighbors in May? What does it mean for the rest of your year? That's, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. I think sometimes we can kind of become like the world and relegate Christmas to one or two days. 25th, 24th, right? And that's it. Um, I mean, test me if I'm wrong in this. It's really cool and fun to talk about Christmas on December 20th, right? It's kind of like the new easy thing for people to talk to all the whole month of December. It's what are you doing for Christmas? How many people have said that to you this month? Hey, what are you doing for Christmas? Are you going out of town for Christmas? It's kind of like the new easy phrase to get into conversations, like how about the Cubs or something like that. What are you doing for Christmas? Right. It's not so fun to talk about Christmas on December 30th or January 20th, right? April 20th. You see a lot of people talking about Christmas then? No. They'd look at you and say, hey, bro, that's kind of over, <laughs> Move on. Christmas was three months ago or something like that. It's almost like what was worth celebrating on that day isn't really celebratory anymore. You know, we've been talking about hospitality for the last several weeks, and this week is actually going to cap off this series for us. We've been looking at grace visiting outsiders as a church. Um, So next week we'll start something totally new. But we've been looking at hospitality from the standpoint of hope, Um, salvation, from the standpoint of community, um, from the standpoint of mission and being a missionary. This week, as we finish our look into hospitality, I want to look at it from the standpoint of Christmas. And that sounds like a bizarre angle to look at hospitality from, but it's, it's brilliantly placed for us in the scripture a certain way. Now, when I say hospitality, don't think the typical thing that we've been brought up to think, which is having the buds over for food, or having your friend over to spend the night, or being nice to a pastor, or whatever. That's typically what we think of when we think of hospitality. We've been borrowing and using a real functional definition that Tim Chester uses in his book, A Meal with Jesus. And he says, hospitality, and I agree, it's been very helpful. Hospitality is making space, it's welcoming, it's listening to the context of people's lives, and it's providing for very deeply. Now that's a better definition Because now you're not just hosting people in your home, you're hosting them in your life. You're hosting them in your schedule. You're hosting them in your checkbook. You're hosting them in several different facets. You're doing life with people in a hospitable fashion. Making space, welcoming, listening to the real context. We all have contexts to us. We all have a story. And then providing for it, right? That's what we mean when we say hospitality. Christmas, Christmas is one of the most beautiful pinnacle scenes of hospitality in the whole Bible, second only to the cross. And, and that's why it's probably the most told Christmas story in the whole Bible, second to the cross. It's a paradox for us. It's a tale of two hospitalities, really, when you look at it. 
we met our king with poor hospitality when he came to earth. Yet he came to extravagantly be hospitable to us. We see a swap. That's why we call it a paradox. We failed to make room for Jesus, did we not? We failed to welcome him. We failed to provide for him. But he came to do those very things for us. We did not welcome him into our world, but he was coming in into our world to welcome us into his world. We see it swapped. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Luke 2, and I want to march through this text with you, but I want you to, to remember we're looking at it from the posture of hospitality, and you'll start to see some things pop that maybe you're not used to popping. Um, so it'll be up on the screen in Luke 2 if you don't want to turn to it in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can grab one on the way out. They're free on that table, by the way. Luke 2, verse 4, and it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. Okay, pause. Verse 7. The reality of this is what we're seeing is mankind hosted the maker of creation. So understand, creation was enacted. It was begun and carried out through the person of Jesus Christ. We welcomed the master of creation with the lowest and the basest and the dirtiest of all accommodations. We hosted him with the poorest of accommodations. That's what we see here. Most likely, the manger was part of a stable that was cut out of rock. That might be contra to what you've grown up thinking, but I mean the earliest beliefs of what the stable and manger scene looked like, the earliest beliefs were that it was somewhat like a cave. Think of a cave, all right? Um, Even as early as maybe 120 AD, one generation after Jesus, they would have understood this scene to have happened out of what would have looked like a cave. Even current scholars pretty much mostly agree on that, right? Um, so, it, but does it really matter? I mean, if you, if you have it in your mind that it was a wooden structure like you see in the front lawns with the styrofoam little nativity scene, I mean, if that's how you see it, it's totally fine, no harm, no foul. But it is interesting how whenever you do see those scenes, like in little kids' plays or made-for-TV movies, the trough, the manger, is like only as long as a baby. Have you all noticed that? Most likely it was a little bit longer than that because that's what animals ate out of. So it, it was probably more than 18 inches long, and it was carved out of stone. Now, if that's true, isn't it interesting that one day, almost 30 years later, Jesus would once again go into what would look like a cave. He would actually exit the stage of creation looking like it did as he entered the stage of creation. I mean, he would leave through what looked like a cave to once again being placed right back in something that looked a lot like a cave. I think that's interesting. It's almost as if God was pointing to the way Jesus would die, even in his birth. I mean, think about it. Strips of cloth. Strips of cloth being wrapped around the baby. Why? To keep them straight, safe, warm. But I mean, more than 30 years later, it's going to be carried right back into a cave wrapped in what? Cloth. It's it's a very beautiful picture that we see being painted for us, man. I mean, it's... It's just interesting, the very nature of the birth of Jesus. It's just God showing us. I mean, you have a baby coming out of a womb and crying, crying out, totally innocent. And then you'd have an innocent Savior, right, 
Not an innocent baby anymore, but an innocent replacement nonetheless, crying out from a cross. You would have a baby being carted out of a cave wrapped in cloths to keep himself safe. But over 30 years later, he would walk back into or be carried back into a tomb wrapped with cloth, not to keep himself safe, but to, because we were kept safe. You see this heavy, heavy, heavy nuancing in the birth scene. Now the thing is, is the accommodations match, but the hospitalities are vastly different. We hosted him in his birth. He hosted us in his death. And it's all seen, right, in this one scene. I mean, when Jesus was born, we barely noticed him. We barely made room. We barely welcomed the one who created all creation. But in his death, he did all of those things for us. In his death, he made space for us at his table in his kingdom. He welcomed us. He listened to our lives and the cracks in our heart. And he provided at a deep, deep, deep heartbreaking cost. This is what we see. We met our king with hospitality that was poor, but he met us with hospitality which was very extravagant. So I wanted to make note of that. I just want to march on real quickly in verse 8. I want to look at this too. This is also important for us. you have it up there? Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told of them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, pause right there. We don't just see God revealing us clues about hospitality and the accommodations. We actually see it in the guest list right here. The first guests, shepherds. Shepherds. Now, you have grown up most likely just like I grew up, seeing little kitty plays in movies and TV shows about how the shepherds were these sweet older people. They were very sweet. Their eyesight was dimming, and they were always the kind of guys that handed out candy to kids and always were really sweet. Not actually so. You wouldn't leave your kids with shepherds back in the day. They were crooks. They were thieves. They were outcasts. They were ceremonially impure. They were outsiders. They lived outside the walls. They didn't have anything to do with society because they were outcasts. That's what we see. The first message of salvation was hand-delivered to the dirtiest people God could find within walking distance. Think about that for a minute. That's crazy. The dirtiest, sleaziest, grimiest, law-breakingest people within walking distance were the very first to receive a salvation message. And the thing is, is they were watching over sheep. 
I mean, don't let that fact get lost on you. A lot of these sheep, the ones without blemish, would be sacrificed as Passover lambs just a few months later. Highly likely. So think about that. You have these shepherds that are leading these sheep, going to meet, they're scrambling and hustling to go see who? An ultimate shepherd. Our ultimate shepherd, who doesn't just lead sheep, but leads mankind and will become an ultimate Passover lamb. That they would have got. They might not have been brilliant men with high IQs. They might have been criminals. They might have been crooks. That they would have understood. Oh my goodness, this is the shepherd of all shepherds and he will be our Passover lamb. So don't let that be lost on you. I mean, this isn't a king entering creation only to reveal himself to kings. This is a servant coming to reveal himself to servants. Right? I mean, some translations, they say stooped. He stooped in creation. This is what it, Paul says in Philippians 2. Do you have that? I put that on there, didn't I? Philippians 2, and I'm going to skip to verse 7. Jesus made himself nothing, it says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who became a baby, we would later on treat as a villain. Jesus, who came as an innocent child, we would treat as a drunken rebel. Right? That's how we would see him. So God was entering a creation. And this is something that even growing up as a young Christian, I had a really hard time understanding. Because I always saw myself in better eyes than I see the people that were around Jesus at the time. I always feel like I would have acted differently than they would have acted. But it's interesting that when God entered creation, the Bible says in John 1, and we're about to read it, that creation would not recognize Jesus and creation would not receive Jesus. The two things you think that they would have loved to do, they did not do. He would not be hosted very well. We would not show him great hospitality. But he wasn't insecure because he didn't come to be shown hospitality. He came to be hospitable to us. Just like he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. We see that motif all the time. And that is the beauty of the Christmas message. The Christmas message from this posture is that God was so hospitable to mankind that he didn't just make space for us. He didn't just welcome us. He didn't just listen to the problem of our heart. He entered creation and he actually paid with his son's life at a deep, deep, heartbreaking cost. That is a Christmas message. Let's just look at it real quick in John 1. I'm actually almost done. John 1 in verse 10 says this. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And we just said that a minute or two ago. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is the thing. Why should you care about this message? I mean, why does this matter? Why does the birth really matter? I mean, Shouldn't it be more about the life and the death of Jesus? Shouldn't that be what we're fixated on? I mean, that we could live a life by. I mean, that we can use to guide us for 365 days a year. But the birth, I mean, what does the birth have to do with anything? Where is the so what factor for you? Why does it even matter? I will say the first thing that jumps out at me whenever I ask myself that question is I am that shepherd. I am like the shepherds. I am the outsider. I'm the outcast, I'm the criminal, I'm the crook, I'm the shady one, I'm the one disconnected, I'm the one that is now hosted, 
now loved, now visited, now preached to, now embraced, now hosted myself. I think we are the crooks that are shown glory and grace as Christians. I think we are the ones that were ceremonially impure, made pure because of the work of another person. That's what I see whenever I look at this passage. But even though, even if that's true, Luke, how does this change how we do every day? Even if that's true, how does this change our lives? Our everyday routines, our normal. What does this message do for our normal? I'll tell you, there's, it, it does two big things, but they're really connected. I see that it reveals how God shows hospitality, and therefore it reveals how you and I are supposed to be hospitable. Because they're connected. Because Jesus says, and you can find this in John 20, Jesus says, hey guys, you see how God sent me? You see how I entered this whole thing? That's how I'm sending you. You see how I entered creation? You see how I entered the grime and the mess and the scandal of mankind? That is how I'm launching you. That is how you were to be sent. We see that. He wants us to go into places where our hospitality might not be recognized and it might not be received quite like we want it to be, right? Think about that. And we don't like that. We don't like that. We hate that. We want our provision, our hosting to be loved and appreciated and received and recognized. We do. I'm with you. I like the idea of people recognizing the toil that we're going through, the fact that we're opening up our life or our schedule. We like to be appreciated. We just do. Ah, we say things like it's, It's no bother at all. Seriously, seriously, no bother at all. Don't mention it. But the fact is, is we're glad that they see that it was a bother, and we're equally glad that they did mention it because it makes us feel appreciated. We hate bringing our hospitality to places where we feel like it won't be appreciated. You know, at the laundromat, I I know I bring up the laundromat a lot. It's a wealth of preaching illustrations. I'm sorry, it just is. But is we give out quarters at the laundromat every week. It's, I'll be honest with you, 80% of the people, it's the same people every week. And I'm not sad about that fact. That's actually producing fruit, that very fact. Now, some people, they'll get the quarters. There's only 16 quarters and a cup of coffee. Not a big extravagant deal, right? It's enough to pay for a small wash and one cycle through the dryer. And as they come, some people are like, listen, Luke, you have no idea how much of a big help this is. And it's like the 38th time they've gotten quarters. But they're still like, Luke, you have no one. Tell the whole church every week how much of a blessing it is. I mean, this keeps me from having to mix my darks and my whites. Now, to you and me, that's, that's just a given. To them, that's a pretty big deal, you know? The fact that they can actually do laundry like what they think normal people do laundry. It's a big deal. They gush. And then you have... The people that come up and they're just like, uh, anytime, hey, can you count a little faster? And they get the quarters and they leave. Now, whenever that person comes, there's a piece of me that wants to go, I'm not giving you jack. I'm not giving you just people over here that will appreciate me. There's people I can host right now and be hospitable to that will actually recognize that this is 16 quarters. Don't you know this is 16 quarters? You don't have to have this. I can give it to anybody I want. There's a piece of me that wants to do that. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that with me. And that leads me to this. He wants us to not only take our hospitality to people where it won't be recognized or received very well, he actually wants us to take the form of a servant, treating others more important than ourselves, as Paul says in Philippians, right? 
hosting them, especially the scandalous ones, especially the shady ones, the ones with the checkered past and the weird reputation and the personality disorder, right? Especially that person to open up your life. Especially that person to open up your schedule, your ears, your home, your car, to open up everything to this person and do life with that person. Now that is hard. That is hard. I mean, listen, hosting outsiders, hosting outsiders in your life is the most difficult thing to do in the whole world. That's why they're called outsiders. Outsiders are outsiders because they're not insiders, right? There's something in their life that does not match with yours, and it makes the whole situation very uncomfortable, right? Maybe they cuss, maybe they smoke pot, maybe they talk about sports all the time, maybe they don't talk about sports all the time, maybe they homeschool their kids, maybe who knows whatever it is. There's something that does not match with your personality to where doing hospitality is incredibly uncomfortable. And so we're not willing to make them center us to stoop is what Christ did and hospitality is broken. Listen, there are more people in the world that don't match you than people that do match you. The world is full of outsiders, which makes us perfect for hospitality. Makes us perfect for hospitality. I mean, that's the gospel. Think about that. We're not a great match for Jesus, by the way. Think about that. I mean, think about how far we are from him. I mean, what do we have in common with a righteous, pure God that dispenses grace, mercy, love, all in equal proportions and is perfect all the time outside of time? What do we have in common with that? There's actually a deeper gulf between us and God than anyone you can find in creation right now. But yet he initiated hospitality with us, right? And we're recipients at a great cost from him. So that's, that's how I see the gospel in this. I mean, he first came to the dirtiest people within walking distance, Christ did, and then as he lived his life, what did he do? He just embraced people that were morally defective, spiritually defective, physically defective. That's all he did. Prostitutes, cripples. He's meeting with people that don't look a whole lot different than the shepherds that he originally visited. So, I'm closing it down. I'm closing it down. This is a land speed record for me. Um, I want to ask you, Christian, who are the shepherds in your life? Not pastors, right? It's a little bit of a trick question. Sorry for that. Not pastors, not people who are shepherding you, but who are your version of the outsiders, the broken ones, the ones difficult to do life with, the ones that don't ever appreciate you and probably never will, the, pro- the ones that are always a little just off to where anytime you're around them, it's uncomfortable and it's a chore to do life with them. Who is that person for you? Because Christmas says that Jesus came to reveal himself to mankind, especially those who deserve it the least in the world's eyes. So this is what we do. Merry Christmas, right? Christmas says that God has come to host to the glory of himself and for the sake of the people around him at a cost to himself. Therefore, we do the same thing when we host. So Merry Christmas. Christmas says that God became man and even stooped to the form of a servant in order to be a good host to creation. So we do the same thing. It's a Merry Christmas, right? Christmas says that Jesus' hospitality wasn't really received, nor was it recognized. Neither will yours. It's a Merry Christmas, right? I mean, we're celebrating Christmas every day Every day, if we pour our lives out for the unlovely outsiders 
for the glory of God and for the sake of the city at a deep personal cost to ourselves. And I would just contend that that is a better way of honoring God in in Jesus' birth than going into debt over Christmas presents and putting a stupid red nose on your SUV, right? I would just submit that's probably a more elaborate way of honoring God. I will say also, if you're in here and you struggle with God, you struggle with Christmas, you struggle with the idea of Jesus being born as God come to man, that's something that you've either not cashed in on or it's something that you're just not sure about, I'll just say this, God makes outsiders insiders by visiting them with grace. He doesn't make insiders insiders, he makes outsiders insiders. Luke, what do you mean when you say that? I'm saying, I remember the day that I realized, not because I was smart, but because God decided in that moment he was going to just dump truck this revelation on me that I was a big outsider underneath a weight of sin that I could not lift myself and that God was going to rescue me in that moment. I was not crying out to God as one who was already on the inside. I was crying out out of desperation because I knew how far out on the outside I was. The gospel does not make nice people nicer. Right? Doesn't make secure people more secure. Doesn't make alive people aliverer. Right? It doesn't do these things. It takes scabbed, scarred, dirty, crusty, sleazy people and it adopts them into a beautiful family that will be kept for eternity. And I see a lot of this really exemplified for us, this beautiful hospitality on Christmas. So whenever you celebrate Christmas, it's for all of you, and we're about, to, we're about to pray and go into worship, but as you celebrate Christmas this year, I want you to think about it from the posture of hospitality, how poorly mankind hosted God, yet how extravagantly he hosts us, right? And how he shows us that, that juxtaposition, that paradox of hospitality right there in a, just a bored-out cave in some little no-name town, right? Because there was no room anywhere else. And yet God was in control the whole time because he knew, of course, it was going to happen in a cave. That's the way I wanted it to happen because he's going to go right back in a cave in just over 30 years from now, right? Looking a lot like he looks now. It's a beautiful story for us.